Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. There's still 13 days left of the Cuomo governorship out in New York, but uh, after yesterday, uh, we're still pretty happy that he's at least hitting the bricks. Who knows what he's doing over those last two weeks, assuming he actually leaves, uh, Jim. But that was yesterday's really good martini. Today, we also have good, bad, and crazy martinis. And we have another embattled governor to discuss, and that is Gavin Newsom out in the state of California. So Gavin Newsom on September 14th will go before the voters of California. Should Gavin Newsom be recalled? Yes means he goes. No means he stays. And then there's another question about if he is recalled, who should be the next governor of California? It doesn't just become the lieutenant governor. You actually pick your next governor. And so there are dozens of people on the ballot, just like there were back when Schwarzenegger uh, won the recall and Gray Davis got recalled back in 2003. But Gavin Newsom has an interesting little twist here, Jim. Uh, he is telling Democratic voters not to fill out the part of the ballot asking for candidate replacements if, in fact, he's recalled. So either he's really confident or he's trying to prevent the party or other prominent Democrats from getting in the replacement race just in case he happens to get recalled. So rolling the dice all the way here. If Gavin Newsom gets recalled, which according to recent polls is certainly plausible, we might very well end up with a Republican governor in the state of California. Indeed. And if by the middle of next month, we, we wake up and we find out news that Larry Elder is going to be the governor of California. <laughs> California Democrats will have no one to blame but themselves. And one big reason is, um, as noted, they, they have a huge voter registration advantage. But, you know, for obvious reasons, people just aren't that fired up. They're reinstating the COVID restrictions. People just you know it's not easy to be enthusiastic about Gavin Newsom. And one of the things I kind of wonder about, and it thinks, you know, I remember when Newsom got the nomination, there was some real irritation amongst Latino Democrats uh, who had preferred other candidates who observed that Gavin Newsom, who's basically been a family friend of the Getty family out there in California for you know, his whole life, uh, his fortune was built with heavy investments of family friends. So basically, he is just like the walking, living embodiment of privilege. And this was just not how most California Democrats like to see think of themselves. But then again, Democrats don't like to think of themselves as the party led by a Speaker of the House who li literally lives on billionaires row in San Francisco. Uh, you kind of look at this and you can kind of see, OK, you can see the outlines of a less than you know the usual level of enthusiasm for California Democrats. Uh, and, you know, early on, I joked, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago about Cruz Bustamante, yes. the, uh, the California state legislator who was kind of the backup to Gray Davis back during the 2003 recall. You know, Gavin Newsom's we're not doing that path. We don't have any backup plan. It's me or it's nothing or, or it's me or it's a Republican. And some voters might say, all right, give me give me the Republican. Give me nothing. Give me give me anything else except this guy. And I, I can see why. I think if you if you end up having a Democratic uh, you know, recall ballot option, then some Democrats are going to say, yeah, I don't really like Newsom that much. I'm going to vote for, to recall Newsom, and I'll go with this other guy. Uh, right now, I guess the Democratic nominee is some guy who's a realtor who makes YouTube videos or something like that. It's a really obscure, not well-known figure. So we have no idea how this is going to shake out, but now I think, I think, you know, week by day by day, week by week, California Democrats are con 
beginning to realize what, what struck them as the safest and lowest risk strategy is turning out to actually be the highest risk strategy they possibly could have selected. It's amazing. Yeah, the guy's name is Kevin Paffreth, and he's in his 20s, Jim. So, uh, And he was the leading replacement candidate in that Survey USA poll that showed uh, Newsom losing the recall race by 11 points. Uh, so we'll see how accurate those numbers end up being. But uh, get an Al Green vibe from this. <laughs> <laughs> could be could be but i i have seen some um and, and i didn't remember this from the last recall in 2003 but there are a lot of people who think that uh gray davis got hurt by the fact that cruz bustamante was in there so it gave them a democratic option i always assumed it gave them you know one democratic option in a heavily blue state to, to keep the seat even if gray davis got recalled which he did different strategies for uh for a different generation here but we'll we'll find out uh if, if this works because it's it's all or nothing for Gavin Newsom you're really relying on a lot of democrats a to show up and to actually want to keep you so uh given his yeah. uh well, but like the interesting the, the, the presence of a Cruz Bustamante type really is the state democratic party saying okay we know you don't love the current democratic governor we know Gray Davis has disappointed you. Uh, and, you know, a big part of that had been that he had basically campaigned for governor saying everything's fine and dandy. We're doing great. And then immediately after the election said, oh, my God, the deficit's so bad. We totally have to raise taxes and we totally have to make these cuts and stuff like that. That was a big driving factor back in 2003. Um, what the, the, the you know, current approach of the California Democratic Party is there's no reasonable there's no good reason for you to not want Gavin Newsom to stay in there. And that's, you know, that's really not listening to people who are frustrated with everything, you know, the economy or uh, pandemic restrictions or wildfires or on the other problems facing the state of California. Um, pretty, again, it's a high stakes gamble. And if they lose, they're going to lose very big. Jim, one of the things I always like to point out to people is, uh, hey, I just thought of something that'll make you feel old. Do you want to feel old? Well, here's my uh, will make you feel old moment for the day. The recall election in California is on September 14th. For the most part, if you were born at the time of the 2003 California recall, you can vote in this California recall. Not quite. It was October 7th, 2003. So there's about a uh, three-week gap there. But it's been 18 years since uh, the California voters recalled who Arnold Schwarzenegger called Cray Davis uh, and Schwarzenegger uh, became governor for almost eight years. 18 years ago. Amazing. Greg, you know how you made me feel like just laugh my butt off at that? Yeah, I'm not laughing my butt off at that. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for making us all feel old. All right. Well, let's talk about something that'll make you feel better since we are old and we we need to be relaxed and have our muscles soothed. Uh, And that is the fabulous X chair. And Jim, you've got the X chair so you can tell us just how awesome it is. Dearest listeners, I am sitting in the X chair right now. I work from home long before the pandemic. If you spend a lot of time at your desk, if you're typing a lot, writing a lot, uh, let's say a lot of white collar jobs require you to feel like you're practically attached to your computer, uh, if not the entire day, then for really long stretches during the day. And you can end up with real back pain if you aren't sitting in a chair that's particularly comfortable. And I just kind of sit there and I wonder how many people who had a uh some sort of nice chair in their office suddenly we're working from home and they're working at the kitchen table or maybe the dining room table or some other setting where you're just not used to sitting for hours at a time and all of a sudden you've got back pain mouse shoulder mouse wrist all the kind of stuff like all of a sudden you're not in a position and you're not in a chair that's designed it well 
Well, think about it. you spend roughly one third of your life working. And in many of those cases, you're at desk, you're in your chair. So trust me, this is where it's worth spending the money to take care of yourself. You're going to need it. They don't come any better than the X chair. It's got the heat. So if you're feeling kind of cold in your office or in your home office or something, hey, you know what? Warm it up a little bit. It's got cooling. It's got a massage setting. It is absolutely worth it. I love it. Spending a considerable amount of time at my desk, whether it's recording a podcast or typing something up, completely enjoyable. Uh, I'm not I'm not even exaggerating. I look forward to sitting in it every day. I walk into my home office like, ah, X chair, there you are. And best of all, I mean, it just sounds like something you'd find in one of the X-Men movies or something. <laughs> you got to know about X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support. It was already the best in class with incredible responsive low back support. And now with Elamax, your comfort is guaranteed. And also, like Jim said, imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. Pretty darn good. So uh, check out the X Chair. Go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X Chair, M A R T I N I.com. Or call 1 844 4X Chair and save $100 on your order. X Chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairmartini.com now and use the code X wheels for free X wheel blade casters. Again, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. And it indirectly involves uh, Andrew Cuomo, but it's more about Joe Biden. He was doing a victory lap press conference yesterday at the White House following the Senate passage of the infrastructure bill. Thanks again, 19 Republicans. So now the Democrats can use reconciliation on the huge bill of uh, $3.5 trillion, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in the days ahead. But at this press conference, of course, the news of Cuomo's impending resignation comes up. And Ed O'Keefe of CBS News asked Joe Biden how he thought Cuomo did as governor. And here is Biden's response. One of the Democrats through the years that you spoke with about infrastructure the most was Andrew Cuomo, who is resigning, who announced he's resigning today. You had traveled New York with him when you were vice president to the launch of the reconstruction of LaGuardia. He was someone who supported your campaign early on. No, you call on him to resign. No, you condemned the alleged behavior. But you're someone who spends a lot of time with mayors and governors. How would you assess his 10 and a half years as governor of the state? In terms of his personal behavior or what he's done as a governor? What he's done as a governor. I thought he's done a hell of a job. But he's done a hell of a job. And uh, I mean, both on everything from access to voting to infrastructure to a whole range of things. That's why it's so sad. Well, props to Ed O'Keefe for trying to find an infrastructure uh, hook to ask the Andrew Cuomo question, I guess. But uh, this answer here is insane, Jim. I mean, even before all the scandals piled up, New York was constantly tops in regulation and taxes and people moving out. And then, of course, you've got the, the massive scandals he's piled up recently, most especially the thousands of dead bodies as a result of his misguided nursing home COVID policy and uh, and many other things as well before we even get to the other ethical stuff. So what do you make of Biden uh, kind of throwing that lifeline to Cuomo? You know, I, I guess the if you the only defense you can make of Biden, and it's not much, you can measure it on the molecular scale, is this notion that he's like, well, he's talking about he's, he's emphasizing it's not to defend his his behavior in sexual harassment and looking at his record. But I think as we pointed out, like this, this isn't just that. Um, this is, in fact, a you know, like that was that was probably what became most intolerable 
the people who were usually Andrew Cuomo's allies. But doesn't this mean that was the only thing he ever did wrong? And in fact, I mean, this this comment from Zephyr Teachout, who ran against him, look, this is somebody who's been a critic of Cuomo for a long time. But I think it's, I don't think it's a, it's easy to refute this assessment. Quote, for the 11 years Andrew Cuomo was governor of New York, he acted like a caricature of someone drunk with power. A boy king gifted the position by his father's name, greedy for acclaim and control. He grabbed everything for himself, literally and figuratively. Um, in addition, you know, he, with harassment, no one would dare speak up. He retaliated against the smallest slight. He used state workers to grab himself a multi-million dollar book deal. He lied about people's deaths, trampling on the sacred with an entitled shrug. And he lied for the simplest and grossest of reasons, because telling the truth about nursing home deaths would take the shine off his glory and cost him his book deal and his victory lap. Cuomo was a taker. He took power and he collected chits and he took credit wherever he could. He took credit for a fracking ban when activists forced him into it against his will. Well, I don't agree with that, but you know, you're, he took credit for the minimum wage. He took credit, you know, taking credit for things that Zephyr teach out things that liberal activists deserve more. But the instance, in the end, he has proven himself a predictable and dull tyrant, simply out for himself. The big Cuomo narrative that time has destroyed was that he was a jerk, but a competent jerk. The truth is he couldn't even build a bridge that was safe. He was competent at tearing people down, but not at building roads, bridges, the MTA, fully funded schools, or sewer systems, the actual things a state needs to survive. He left New Yorkers with gaping holes in our social fabric and immoral levels of equality. Now, maybe you don't agree with every detail of every assessment of Zephyr Teacher, but the overall persona, I think, is an accurate one. And yeah, with the accounts of other state lawmakers about the screaming tirades and the bullying for, you know, and all that kind of stuff, just the recognition of you know, the, this this narrative that had come around for a long time. Because yeah, Andrew Cuomo was never really beloved other than maybe by national political reporters during the first couple of months of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. But even anybody who had any familiarity with how he was working as governor and working with the state legislature and running the New York state government was that he was a jerk, but okay, he got the job done. But as you and I pointed out, looking at the, uh, not just that you look at the coronavirus numbers, you look at the economic numbers, people leaving the state, Cuomo really couldn't get it done. And in the end, the, well, he's a jerk, but get it, he gets it done, was really hit, like that whole narrative was his excuse for being a jerk. There are 49 other governors in this country, maybe you know, they vary in quality, but I think we can all say they have all had better character than Andrew Cuomo. I'm sure that some, you know, Californians are griping and <laughs> look, you know, Greg, our governor is either, either he wore a hood or he's wore blackface. You know, I'm not saying they're all prizes, but none of them were Andrew Cuomo and none of them walked around with this false sense of what a terrific and swell job they were doing. So a Joe Biden coming out and saying, boy, he had a hell of a job. He did a hell of a job in the sense that he was the governor from hell. Yes, that assessment I would agree with. Uh, you add it all up, though, it's kind of deeply frustrating that our president, Mr. Magoo, who can't really see anything going on around him, couldn't realize that yesterday was not the right day to say, boy, what a swell job he did as governor. Jim, can we put together some sort of March Madness style bracket of people's names that are real but don't seem like they're real? So can we get like Zephyr Teachout against Reality Winner and maybe throw Richie Incognito in there somewhere? Yeah, I, I would put all of those because... Uh, for you know, readers of Between Two Scorpions, there is a early scene where the CIA director says, "Yeah, we admit, I have to admit, we've recruited some real winners." <laughs> and uh, you know, sharp-eyed you know readers will recognize. Wait a minute, that's not that's not just he's not just being sarcastic. He means literally, they hired reality winner. Although I think that was NSA. Was the W capitalized? Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. so that was the CIA. 
Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, that would be fun. That would be fun to put together that bracket at some point. But you know what else is fun? Having a great towel when you step out of the shower. And that's where the MyPillow towel set can come in. You know about the fantastic sheets and the slippers and, of course, the pillows. But the MyPillow towel set is fantastic as well. They're big. They're soft. They're fluffy. They get you dry super fast. And same goes for the the hand towels as well. The washcloths are great. And still, the six-piece towel set is on a big, big sale. A six-piece towel set, which regularly goes for $109.99, now goes for only $39.99. Now, each set is two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. They're made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent, soft to the touch, and none of that lotion-y feel. They're made with cotton grown right here in the United States, and they're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or when you call 800-874-0104. The MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $39.99. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. Again, MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. Jim, let's get to our crazy martini now, and this is a story that could be in the bad or crazy martini pretty much every day over the past few weeks and most likely in the weeks to come. And that's what's happening in Afghanistan as the U.S. is uh, pulling out and the Taliban is seizing opportunities to take over different parts of the country. And somehow Joe Biden is shocked by the actions of the Taliban, not only the aggressiveness in conquering territory, but also how they're treating conquered people. It's like he hasn't paid attention at all in the last 25 years since the Taliban first came to power in Afghanistan in the mid-90s. But the AP has the story, and there's two parts here that just make you want to bang your head against the desk. First of all, Taliban conquests in Afghanistan are challenging the Biden administration's hopes that a desire for international respect and for international aid and cash may moderate the fundamentalist militia's worst behaviors when the U.S. ends its war there. Showing little interest in a diplomatic settlement, Taliban commanders have sped up their battlefield advances ahead of the U.S. military's withdrawal at the end of this month. They've seized six provincial capitals in the past week. Quote from the story from Jen Psaki, If the Taliban claim to want international legitimacy, these actions are not going to get them the legitimacy they seek, she said in Monday's briefing. Jim, the Taliban are after a lot of things. I don't think they care a whole lot what the rest of the world thinks of them as long as they've got domination right there. Yeah, I went back and I found that you can find think tank experts who are absolutely convinced this is a really high priority for the Taliban. They brought it up in peace talks and they say they want it. But I, 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 you know, look, these are all bright people. But, Greg, I'm left scratching my head saying if a guy is willing to throw acid in the face of a schoolgirl and he's not willing to give up that habit then I don't think he really cares that much about international legitimacy. I don't think being accepted that the UN matters that much. I think in the end, this is a guy who just really likes throwing acid into the faces of schoolgirls. And there's really only one way to deal with them. Now, you and I have discussed Afghanistan on this, you know, podcast for many times in the, we've been doing this like, what, 11 years? Almost, yeah. A little more than half the time of the U.S. forces have been in Afghanistan. Completely understand American exhaustion with this. Completely understand the sense of Americans like, okay, look, 20 years is enough time. These guys have to be able to stand up on their own. You know, good luck, Afghanistan. 
The problem is, if we're going to make that decision, we have to be completely clear-eyed about the likely consequences of this. And I think the likely consequences of this are the Taliban will announce they control Afghanistan so, like probably right around September 11th, 2021. You know, as somebody pointed out to me today, whether or not they actually do have control, they will announce they have control on that day. And the perception around the world will be that 20 years later, despite all of the efforts of, of the United States, despite the fact that the Taliban was routed before the end of 2001, before, you know, they quickly fled Kandahar, they quickly fled Kabul. 20 years later, they're back in charge and they're ready to start up their same operation. Oh, by the way, there's really no indication that they've cut their ties to Al-Qaeda. And by some accounts, they're closer to Al-Qaeda than ever before. Now, bin Laden is dead. Al-Qaeda, we don't live in fear of Al-Qaeda the way we used to. But I do kind of wonder if the Taliban is running Afghanistan, whether Al-Qaeda will then say, hey, you know what? It's time to get the band back together. And whether young, angry Muslim males who are the world never has a shortage of those will start to say, hey, I, I thought that Islamist fundamentalism and, and you know terrorism was going out of style. It looks like it's making a comeback. I, I have no idea. I, I, my fear is that's the case. And that our ability to deter that, our ability to stop that will be hindered by not having any presence in Afghanistan. I, I really think you could have maintained a few thousand troops, control over Bagram Air Base and kept a presence and not had a sense of endless stuff. And my, you know, not only are the schoolgirls getting splattered with acid, I, I think you're going to see this as a major propaganda victory for Islamist fundamentalism around the world. I hope it doesn't go out that bad. If we're going to go that way, like, let's make this decision open eyed. But it was last month that Joe Biden told us the Afghan army was the best trained, best equipped and most competent on the battlefield. Well, that was bullpucky. The, the moment he said it, everybody knew it. It is clearly, you know, looks absolutely bizarre, ludicrous and unbelievably out of touch. And uh, in the you know month that has passed. And as far as I can tell, there's been absolutely zero consequence. The president just went out there and said something that completely wasn't true. I guess as you know, people go, oh, presidents lie all the time. But like, you know, um, when you're telling people, don't worry, the Afghan army's got this, and they clearly don't, I think there should be some sort of consequence to that. No, that's clearly the case. And of course, Joe Biden is the one who, depending on who you talk to, uh, made sure we didn't get a status of forces agreement in Iraq back in 2011, which led to the rise of ISIS. And so I hope he's not repeating the exact same mistake. Um, Jazz Shah over at Hot Air, we gave you the quote from Jen Psaki. Uh, These actions are not going to get them the legitimacy they seek. Let's take a look very quickly at some of their actions that Jazz Shah has collected here. Taliban leaders have sent out orders for residents to, quote, provide them with females above age 15 for their fighters to marry. In other words, young girls are being seized and handed out as prizes to the victorious fighters under the guise of being child brides. In other areas, residents suspected of having aided the Americans have been rounded up, leading to the killing of a large number of detainees on mass. So we're uh, headed towards uh, genocide and uh, the uh, absolutely brutal treatment of uh, women and girls once again. Uh, is it Friday yet, Greg? Two more days. Two more days. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already and tell your friends about us as well. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And get us on Twitter as well. Follow us there. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a good Wednesday and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations 
with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. 